Hi, and welcome to Best Practices Chats. In this podcast, I will have chats with middle school band directors from around South Carolina about best practices from their teaching that they are willing to share with you. My name is Mike Dahl, and I'll be the host of these chats. If you have any questions about the information shared, if you need some clarification about something we discussed, or if you want to continue the discussion, simply email the director from this episode. I'm sure they will be willing to help. We hope you enjoy today's chat. All right, well, today on our chat, we're going to be talking with Jonathan Valentine, who's a band director in the upstate. So, uh, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, well, I am, uh, like you said, I'm Jonathan Valentine. I, uh, I teach at Barry Shoals Intermediate School. It's a fifth and sixth grade only school in Spartanburg District 5 in Duncan, South Carolina, and, uh, you know, we feed Burns High School. We have about, uh, we have about 650 students in the school, just in sixth grade, um, and we are growing. Yeah, BMW is our main uh, source of jobs here in the upstate, and there are a bunch of other industries that are moving in, so we're starting to grow and getting bigger, which is kind of crazy, but, um, we have, you know, pretty much uh, my side of the tracks, my side of 85 is pretty middle class, and uh, I have about I have about 260 kids in the band. I'm starting about 135 beginners or so this year. I guess we'll find out how many of them there are when they actually show up this <laughs> next week. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we basically, I take two bands to concert festival, and as second-year players, I... They get to participate in um, the region band and concert festival and solo ensemble at a basic level as much as a six, second year sixth grader could. In fifth grade, we really just focus on fundamentals and we play a couple of concerts. Um, the one thing that is awesome is that I work for a former band director as a principal, so that does make a pretty huge difference. I'm sure it does. Makes I'm sure it makes life a lot easier. <laughs> yes, for sure. Does he gets it, and the assistant principal gets it as well. Well, so. tell us a little bit about your uh, your education background, like uh, you know where where you, what your degree is and that kind of stuff. I grew up in a pretty poor area, pretty poor school district in Northeast Tennessee, Bristol, Tennessee. I picked the saxophone as a sixth grader at Bluff City Middle, and went to Sullivan East High School. Um, but I really wanted to branch out, and so I didn't go to UT. I decided to go to South Carolina instead, study with Dr. Lehman. After I learned that I got into his studio, I felt like that was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So I moved to South Carolina and went to USC. Um, was part of the Carolina band for a couple of years. Uh, March Cadets, March with the Cadets from a Corps in 2008. And then uh, I worked with Chapin High School throughout my college years, student taught at Lexington. And, and I have been with Barry Souls and Burns since 2010. So I've been here for this to be my ninth year up here in the upstate. Now you, your school directly feeds, though, what, Florence Chapel? Mm-hmm. And that's yes. And that's where Alicia Crutchlow is the director? Yes, so my kids go across the parking lot. They basically spend four years in our little complex of two schools, one parking lot. <laughs> so, and they've got another 600 kids over there in that building too. So, 
Well, I'm sure she enjoys the kids that she gets from you. I, I mean, I, I think so. I, they, they, they go on to be very successful with her. You know, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty big old team effort, I'd say. Oh, yeah. So tell us, uh, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, tell us uh, one thing that you like to do for fun that does not involve band or teaching. So what would be one of your favorite places you've gotten to travel then? Obviously, as we're getting ready to start the school year, uh, something that's on the mind of everybody that has beginner band kids is uh, what are we, you know, we going to do with these beginners that are getting ready to walk into our room? Um, you said you've got you know 130 or so uh, little kids that are going to walk in in a few days, and um, you know. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what your plan was for them, and, and uh, certainly the things that. Um, that you do at your program work well for you and, and uh, people that are listening may be able to take some of those ideas and make them work, modify them to fit their situations or whatever. But I guess the first thing um, I wanted to chat with you about just a little bit was what, what do you, uh, or what are you allowed to do or what do you do to um, recruit um, from your feeder schools to get 130 kids in your band program? I know a lot of people are excited because they're going to be starting 25 or 40, but how did you get to the point where you were able to uh, have 130 kids in your band? Yeah, well, our school size is a big thing to do with it, um, and the culture of this district is, has always been a very heavy band um, culture. As much as the football team is, is valued here with their 11 state championships, and the marching band is too, because a lot of people around here, they don't you know, they don't leave, and so they, they have kids, and they want their kids to be in the band. And the marching band has won 11 state championships as well. So um, so a lot of it is school size, a lot of it is culture, but I'm actually not allowed to go to the elementary schools and recruit, which is something that a lot of people, I'm sure, can relate with because our principal just doesn't want us to – basically he said that if, if I did it, then he'd have to let other people do it. And, you know, we teach 10 or 12-year-olds, so it's not like we can just easily hop on a bus and, and just take them around. So, basically, I use the kids to recruit. Well, mostly, it is, uh, I think, one of the biggest things that will help you recruit is to just have a great band program. Um, and that was the first thing I focused on my first couple of years, was just to give the kids a really good experience. So... 
and the parents as well. Make sure the parents have a really good experience so that whenever they they have friends that are fourth graders choosing what they want to do and at various shoals, that they, they talk up the band program. Another thing that I'll do in the spring is I'll give I'll give my fifth and sixth graders some little invitations that they can go take around their neighborhood or go to the fourth grade schools or if they have friends that are in fourth grade and they can personally invite them to come to the sign-up nights and come try the band out. Um, you know, we do a lot of more. I just send the kids out more than anything, kind of let the let them do the talking about how much they enjoy the program and how much they've enjoyed their experience. And, and then, of course, those little invitations. Basically, I just make little business cards. It's not anything crazy. You just take some card stock and put our logo on it and say you've been invited to come try a band instrument. And then I put the little sign-up nights on there, and the kids take those out and give them to their friends and invite them to be a part of the band and, um, you know, so little things like that that you try. And, you know, I've, I've, get, I've made some of those little rubber bracelets the last couple of years and say band member on them and giving those out to kids that, uh, that sign up for band, which is cool as well. But, you know, the biggest, the biggest really, the biggest thing was just make sure that the band program is successful and the kids have a good experience so they tell their friends and they want to be a part of it. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of it, you know, is... Success is breeding success. I mean, when they see something that is, um, you know, something they want to be a part of because they are seeing that it's successful and the kids that are in there are having a good time, it's probably a lot easier to get kids to want to be able to want to be a part of that. Um, yes. And so maybe once we, you know, post this, maybe you could attach a copy of that little card just so, so that people, if anybody wanted to see kind of what you were doing, you could just attach a copy of that, maybe somebody could see it, would that be okay? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, once you've got the kids selected, you've gone out and, and had your students go out and, and talk it up, and they've come uh, and said, yes, I want to be in the band. Um, what Describe your process for when and how do you help them decide what instrument is the best fit for them. You know, a lot, a lot of people have instrument petting zoos or whatever you know so when when do you do something like that and and kind of describe that process to us yeah um well one of the big things that i did forget to mention is that they do actually travel to us and come to our school to take a tour and they get to hear the kids play for the first time so they do get to hear the band play one time when they come visit we always pick a really fun tune for everybody to enjoy um and then what we do is we have open houses at the school. Our principals take, uh, uh, took, this advantage, took this opportunity to try to get kids' parents and kids that are going to be at their shoals the next year in the building in the spring. So we have open house nights in the month of April or May, and we will, I will recruit as many band directors and college kids as I can find um, and we will just mount these tests. They walk in the room, and we try to give them a top three. Like, just have them write down a top three of something that they want. A lot of kids kind of have already made up their mind, because at the, you know, I, I make sure that my, my kids, whenever they go out in the creek, that they are talking up their own instruments. or trying to get people to think about what instrument that they play. 
Um, when they come visit, do their little fourth grade visit to the school, I show them all the instruments and pull, we play all the instruments for them to demonstrate. So they, they kind of have an idea of what they want to play before they show up. And so we ask them to write down their top three and then we test them on their top three and see if, see if they want to pick one of those or if they want to try something else, obviously we'll let them. Um, and then we just keep testing them until they find something that they really like. The one thing that we do is, you know, just because of the sheer numbers and everybody knows this, everybody wants to try out for percussion. Um, so we put that in a separate room and we call it an audition instead and our people and our people go in there and basically do a little basic aptitude test with the percussionists and they they get chosen to be in the percussion section they don't choose to be in the percussion section okay which is i feel like that's kind of important you know i mean percussion is definitely the hardest of all the instruments but it's also the most popular so um i do limit some of the sections like i limit i only own so many tubas and baritones and horns because um, those are the instruments that I rent. I try to limit the saxophone section to a reasonable number, but the flutes and clarinets, trumpets and trombones, we just let them have as many as we can and uh, try to get those kids uh, signed up for that. And that's, that's basically how we do it. We, we have them sign up for what instrument they want to play in that spring on that sheet, and I take all their paperwork and process and we have a few stragglers of course come in and we and oh by the way those open houses are by elementary schools we have three elementary schools so we just have three open houses um you know because if, if there's 325 kids that are coming to Barry Shoals we'll test you know we'll test 175 of them so it'll you know it takes all three of these little after school open houses to get everybody through and the orchestra does the same thing at the same time. Um, and she'll test 80 or 90 kids herself. Some of them will be the same kids, some of them won't. So we just take the opportunity to get as many new faces in the building as possible and have them choose their instrument in the spring. That's how we do it. All right. Well, what about um, the first few weeks, you know, maybe before everybody has an instrument in their hand, you know, what beside, you know, besides, hey, welcome back, you know that kind of stuff. What what do you what does it look like the first few weeks in your classroom uh, with those beginners um, as they're preparing to get their instruments? Well, I try to only have about a week of non-instrument time, um, just because they know what they're playing and they've had all summer to get it and. And so I make sure that they know that we are going to start on the second Monday of the school year. And um, so that first week, we I'm essentially just taking up stuff. I'm taking up stuff. I'm answering questions. I'm trying to um, get their new get because they've just got they've got we've got one to one devices now. So I get try to get their laptops set up with whatever they need to do. You know, whatever they need to use. We use smart music a lot, and so that's a process. That's a day or two right there, just getting them all familiar with smart music. We also have a platform called Schoology, which is basically like a Google Classroom type thing where they can, they can submit 
playing videos and they can submit recordings to me and I can give them feedback. So I take a day or two and show them how to do that. Um, if I have any time, I might go over some basic music theory, but most of the time I don't even get to that because I also hand out lockers in that time. Um, I make sure every kid has name tags and on their instruments. I will go through and inspect instruments that arrive from both Music and Arts and any other rental company, as well as hand-me-down instruments, try to get all that stuff squared away. Um, and what? And and yeah, that, and so that for, I, that first week is so jam-packed with just trying to get all of these kids set up to play the next week that I really don't even. This there's not a lot of time to do anything else, so that's kind of what I use that that time for. So now you're. You fly solo there, I and mean, there's nobody helping, right? Yeah, yeah. We have a fifth grade percussion teacher this year. In the last couple of years, we've had someone to teach fifth and sixth grade percussion. Um, but this year, it'll just be a fifth grade percussion, and so that person takes them into the into another room and teaches them. But yeah, I teach all the wind players by myself, so it's it's a pretty massive project to be able to get all those kids set up in that first week with everything that they need to start sort of being normal the second week. And do you, uh, how, how do your classes broken up with your beginners? Do you have two classes of beginners or do you have three? How's that yeah, work? Three, we have three, three classes of beginners. One is, uh, I do high brass, low brass, and woodwinds. Um, I tried one time doing Flutes and clarinets in one class, saxes and horns in one class, and then all the rest of the brass in the other class. But that was that was a, a little bit of a challenge because that put a class of like almost sixty, and most of them are boys, uh, which was <laughs> fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I mean it worked out. That was a really good band those those years. But uh, I, I just kept it high brass, low brass, woodwinds. And uh, so that's that's how I split my classes. All right, and uh, let's see. How about um, you know once you get ready to do the initial startup with the instruments? So you said the second you know the second Monday of the school year, we're going to start with instruments. Do you at that point have uh, any any sort of uh, startup program, or do you just do it all in class, just with you? I mean, how do you how do you handle that initial? Here's the instrument for the first time. Um, kind of thing with your students? Well, um, yeah, my first couple of years, I just did it all myself in class. Um, we get, you know, we get 40 minutes a day with them every day, so it's not like I'm dealing with uh, once a, once or twice a week type thing. Um, I, well, what I would do is we'll just get them out, we'll, we'll uh, put them on our laps and we'll open them up, we'll learn the parts learn how to put them together and hold them and, you know, go through all of that. Now, if, if it's possible, we'll try to make some sounds on the mouthpieces. But um, it really just depends on what's available to me. So last year we had a student teacher at Burns who was a clarinet player. So yeah, I got him to come down and, and take my clarinets out and, um, and work with them. Because that woodwind class is obviously the most – the most complicated one because there's like usually between 16 and 20 flutes and clarinets and 
um, somewhere between 14 and 16 saxophones, and those instruments are way more complicated to put together. So if I if I hire help, I usually try to do it in the in the woodwind class. Um, but for the first eight years, I just did it all myself. I just did it all in uh, in class and just very very slowly but surely getting it to where they can by the end of the week make a sound because that's usually my goal. I try to use the second week to teach them how not to break things and how to put the things together, how to make their first sounds, and then I will allow them to take their instruments home after that second week and uh, start to working on the things that we've talked about in class. So do you, for instance, when you're working with the flutes, what, what do you give the other woodwind players to do during that time to keep them occupied and not breaking their instrument? Um, I just try not to, I try not to make, make it too long of a thing. I, uh, I, I don't really give them anything and just kind of tell them, Hey, we're only going to, we're going to need to work separately for a few minutes here and I'll, I'll make it quick and I'll make sure that everybody's, um, you know, doing the right things. If I need to, I could, you know, probably I could hand out, I have some of those little handouts that say, that are like worksheets of the notes on the staff and stuff like that. But I, I find that it, in 40 minutes, I know they're, they're super excited and they really just want to play. But at the same time, you know, I make sure to stress upon them how important it is that they do the right thing the first time. So, and I just keep it brief. I don't sit there for 20 minutes and have a flute master class because then that would be a complete disaster for the rest of the class. So I just make sure that I keep it brief and, go around and try to fix individuals and have them critique each other on the way that they look and the way that they're holding things and have them check each other out on whether or not they, they have followed instructions, my instructions. So that kind of keeps them kind of keeps them busy and then that 40 minutes just flies by. Alright, and then uh, I guess one, one last sort of thing on this same topics would be how long um, do you do instruments only uh, before you start putting the music reading aspect with it. Obviously, that complicates things a little bit because then you've got, you know, you've got to deal with not only the, the physical nature of playing the instrument and making the sounds on it, but also now you've got to do the mental thing of of looking at this foreign language and making some sort of sense out of it. So, about how long do you usually do instruments only before you start adding? either the method book or some other type of music reading type thing that you would do? Well, um, as we know, playing a musical instrument is a skill. But so is reading music. Reading music is also a skill. It's something that has to be developed. It's something that has to be um, developed over time, you know, with repetition, with good repetition. So I don't really wait that long. I, I, that first week I focused on making sure they know how to put it together, um, and we will start with our mouthpieces and head joints in the different classes. We will add more and more instruments to make more sounds. The, the next, the beginning of the third week, we're kind of doing the same thing just to review, make sure that they know how to put the instrument together every time, how to form an embouchure, how to make a sound on their mouthpiece, 
how to make a sound with their barrel or how to make a sound with the head joint or make sure that we're holding it correctly. And so all that stuff takes probably about a week or so until they're really comfortable. Um, but once I kind of feel like they're really comfortable making their first sounds on mouthpieces and the instruments, then I will go straight to the book. And we will start with... I do use the Tradition of Excellence book, which I like a lot for the first. I like, I love the, the way that it's structured until Christmas because that, that book is really well-paced for me. I like it a lot. Um, and I really love the fact that it starts on Concert D, which is a, I think is a really good note for beginners to start on because it's not too high. It gives the flute players some a lot of, um, like, because they're using all their fingers uh, for the brass players. It's like I said, it's not the highest note we attempt to play. Um, so that's kind of uh, my philosophy on things. I try to get started just as soon as possible because I want them to be um, as good as they possibly can be for that first concert because we, we do play a Christmas concert because I feel like it would be kind of a bummer for the parents to go a whole year without hearing a concert until May, so I try to make sure that that first concert is is uh, somewhat decent by just getting them started early. All right. Well, is there any other um, advice that you would uh, give out to directors, young or old, just about this beginning of the year process with our beginners? That anything that comes to mind that maybe uh, you know you something you've learned or something you, you just wanted to share? Um, you know, I think, you know, everybody knows their own kids and their own programs and their own areas. For our area, sports is a big, big part of our, of our um, culture here at Burns, sports and athletics. And, and a lot of these kids have been a part of programs, um, whether it be youth basketball or youth dance programs, and so for me, one of the biggest things I always do is I equate, I try to think of as many analogies as possible to equate what they have done within so far in their lives um, to what we're doing in band. So if they've learned um, fundamental, if they've done basketball, we talk about what it means to fundamentally learn how to play basketball and how and what that is in the band world. So I basically try to give them a perspective of why it's so important to do the things that we're doing and not just put the instrument together and just start going going at it. So I think perspective for the kids is really important. We're teaching a generation of kids that are very inquisitive. They don't want to just be told what to do. They need to know why they, why they do it, why they're going to do it, um, which is... Sometimes it's annoying, but as an educator, I won't lie, but at the same time, it kind of makes me think a little bit harder about about what I need to bring to the table as a teacher um, for a generation that literally questions everything. So is there a good reason why we're doing this? And, and I make sure that I just explain it to them, and I don't want them to know that because I don't want them to feel like they're wasting their time. I don't feel, want them to feel like they are... Uh, um, not getting to do what they thought that they would get to do. And, uh, and so that's really important. Another thing that I will declare from the mountaintops is that um, 
when starting beginner saxophones and clarinets put mouthpiece patches on their mouthpieces before they ever attempt to play them. Um, and I always start with mouthpieces on clarinets and saxophones. Um, as we know, the saxophone is the easiest instrument to make a sound on, but it's a very difficult instrument to make a good sound on. And so we have to, you know, I will make sure, and, and playing the mouthpiece is the hardest part by far. So if they can play it with the correct pitches and correct sounds on the mouthpiece, then they will it will be much more successful on the instrument. But I will swear by those mouthpiece badges. I, I did that for the first time a couple of years ago, and the difference between, the difference was incredible because the kids felt so secure in making the embouchure and anchoring their teeth into the mouthpiece because they had that cushion there that if their embouchures got good a whole lot faster. They got very strong embouchures within the first nine weeks or so. Um, and that was a, that was a pretty much a game changer for me as a woodwind teacher, as a beginning band teacher. So I'll swear by that. Um, but, just, but that really goes for any instrument. Lots of mouthpiece work. We do that every day. I have a warm-up that we do every day that works on fundamentals, and I design it to only take about five minutes of class, but it works on the fundamentals every single day. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of equate being successful with them as to how good they are at their instrument. If they're really good at their instrument, then they will have more fun in your class, and your program will be better. It's a win-win, so don't... Don't forget, fundamental skill development is a very important part of what we do. Well, thank you for uh, taking a few minutes out of your busy schedule to talk to us a little bit and share your perspective and your ideas. And I know that uh, there will probably be some people that will email you and uh, get back in touch with you to try to um, find out more about some of the things you might have said. I know people probably want to know about this warm-up that you do and you know what all you include in that. So I'll uh, maybe we can put your email address in the um, after I post this, and people can uh, maybe get in touch with you that way um, if they've got any yeah. questions for you. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. Well, thanks again for uh, being a part of this, and we look forward to seeing how the your program continues to grow and flourish. All right. Thank you very much. All thanks right. for having me. All right. Thank you.